Tonight, we're going to continue our series this semester uh, with Jesus in Galilee, according to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and the story we're going to look at tonight takes place a few days before a really big feast during the time of Jesus. And the story we look at tonight is also going to involve a lot of food. Uh, this story is the only miracle of Jesus that takes place in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with the exception of the resurrection. So all four Gospel writers include this story. So I think it's kind of a big deal. So we wanted to make sure we didn't skip this story. Um, and here's what we're going to do something a little bit different. Because each of the Gospels include this story, we're going to hear all four of them tonight. All right? Uh, and when you came in tonight, you should have received a piece of paper with a grid on it with six questions, right? Who, when, where, all those things. If you did not receive one of those pieces of paper, go ahead and raise your hand, and we would love to get one to you. Uh, Caleb, can you help her out with those sheets as well? Because there's a lot of hands up. And maybe somebody, Chad, can you maybe help out as well? That would be helpful. Uh, also, if you would like to open up your Bibles, um, Here's, let's do this. Here are the four passages. If you are, if you are one of our four, four scripture readers, you can come up to the front, by the way. So Derek and Dawson, Jordan and Tanner, you guys can come on down. If you are in this front half of the room, why don't you guys turn to Matthew, all right? If you're in this front half of the room, why don't you guys go to Mark? The back half over there, you guys can go to Luke, and you guys back here can go to John. Okay, and you guys can just follow along when they read these passages. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. We think it's really, I think it's really good practice to ask questions as you're reading a story. And so uh, as you hear from Matthew, why don't you try to fill in as many of the answers to the questions that you can. And then maybe Luke will offer some additional clues that you can fill in some more things in your box and then... Uh, oh, Mark, Luke, John. Sorry. You got a little hair right there, too. I got you. Uh, okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just fill in the blanks. There's not going to be a quiz afterwards. Just it might be helpful. So uh, without further ado, Matthew chapter 14. Go ahead, Derek. Is it on? Yes, it is. Awesome. All right. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this... The crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approaches, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It is already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down in, on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children.
The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there are so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and the people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got ahead of them. Jesus saw the crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to a nearby farm and village and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what? They asked. We'd have to work months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go out and find out. They came back and reported, We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples, We have told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away so they can go to their surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all of this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. All right, let's give these guys. I don't know. That wasn't. We good? Okay, we're good. Let's give these guys a hand, shall we? Come on. 
All right, we're awake. Okay, so the first question is the question who, right? Who is involved in the story? Jesus, good job. That's one correct answer. Who else? The disciples, very good. And who else? A lot of people. How many people? 5,000 what? 5,000 men. The Matthew version says 5,000 men plus women and children. So that's an extra detail that Matthew offers there. Now, we don't know this for sure, but I think it's possible then, based on that detail, it's possible there could have been 10,000 people there. I mean, could be more, obviously, but men, women, and children, maybe a woman or a child for each of the men that were there. Does that seem reasonable to you? It doesn't sound like heresy or anything like that by drawing that conclusion, hypothetical thing, right? Okay, good. So Jesus uh, is getting into the boat because he's tired and he needs a rest, and the crowds are chasing him on foot, right? So this is, let's go to the where question here, right? Uh, so he's getting in a boat. Here's a reconstructed boat from what it might have looked like from the time of Jesus. And they are at Capernaum. Hopefully this map is becoming familiar to you by now if you've been coming here on a regular basis. They're at Capernaum, and Jesus is wanting to get away from the crowds. So how do you get away from the crowds? Well, you get in a boat and you go in the water, and then you can't have the crowds all around you. Now, a traditional spot uh, has this miracle taking place just west of Capernaum, about a mile, at a town called Tabga. And there's a church that is there commemorating this miracle, and it's got this amazing mosaic there with a couple of fish and some loaves of bread at Tabga. Now, the text does not say this happened at Tabga. The text says it happened where? Bethsaida. What versions, what translations or uh, passages say Bethsaida? Luke. Is there another one that says Luke? Or other one says Bethsaida other than Luke? I didn't think so. So Luke says they go to Bethsaida, all right? So they're heading over this direction here. Now, there's a lot of debate on where the exact spot might have been where this miracle took place. And I confess to you, I read many, many pages this past week trying to figure out what makes the most sense as well. There's a lot of, I know most of you guys don't care about that, right? But uh, one of the ideas is that it was... Um, in this area here, this is a hillside between Capernaum and then Bethsaida is down over here. So some scholars believe maybe it happened up here on the hillside. Others are saying, no, it happened down in the plain because it says Bethsaida. Well, there's reasons why it might not have been right inside Bethsaida, right outside of Bethsaida. You guys don't care about that, and I know that, so I'll stop, right? The thing you need to know is that it took place in this area here on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And who lived there? Who lived there? Okay, good job. Uh, remember that for next week's teaching because that's really important, okay? So we're going to just leave that there for now. But just Stacy will be really proud of you when you remember that next week. All right. So the next question is when? When does the story take place? What time of year is it? There are some clues in the text that I think might help us out. And I also think this graphic, which doesn't make any sense to you, might also help you out. Okay, so in the land of Israel, there are two seasons, a rainy season and a dry season, okay? This little moon-shaped crescent thing right here is the chance of rain. 
So starting in the wintertime, it might begin to rain. So uh, we have January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. So it kind of starts raining a little bit here in the fall and then all winter and then to the springtime. So there's a reason why I think the story took place in April. They sat down where? Where? On the grass. And there's also, uh, Mark, Matthew says the grass. Mark says the what? The green grass. Okay? So Stacia and I go over to Israel every year or two, and we go there usually in May, and there is no green grass anymore in the month of May because they haven't had any more rain. So somehow it has to be in one of these months where they had rain so they could have had green grass. John offers also other additional details. What else does John say? What time of year is it? It's just before Passover, okay? Passover takes place right here in the month of April. And John also offers one more detail. What kind of bread is it? Barley, okay? And the barley harvest takes place in March just before Passover, and that's before the wheat harvest. Maybe you don't really care about any of that. I think it's fascinating, and I think it's also helpful to talk about Passover for a minute, okay? Passover was the holiday for the Jewish people. It is a much bigger deal than our Thanksgiving. It was a week-long celebration commemorating uh, their liberation from Egypt, okay? Uh, under the leadership of Moses. So when Pharaoh freed the Israelites, it is said that the Israelites left in such a hurry that they didn't even have enough time to wait for their bread to rise. Uh, so during Passover, no leaven is eaten. So they have to eat unleavened bread, and that's why in the Old Testament, the feast is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then right after Passover happens, the original Passover back in the Old Testament, what happens? They leave Egypt and they go where? To the desert. And they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. And what are they eating in the desert? Manna. Okay? So, uh, real quick, we'll just look at a couple of passages here. Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. And then the next, uh, skip a few verses down to 17. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. So with Passover just around the corner, just around the corner in Galilee during the time of Jesus, People are thinking about the escape from Egypt, and they are thinking about the wandering in the desert, and they, were th they are thinking about bread. And they are thinking about bread, and they are dreaming about bread, and they can't wait to eat more. I mean, maybe it's sort of like, okay, we're starting to think about and dream about the uh, mashed potatoes and turkey and pumpkin pie, right? As we're starting to turn our face towards going home and eating a good home-cooked meal, we're all kind of getting excited about something like that, right? So, during the time of Jesus, they were thinking about bread. All right? Next question is the what, the what question. What is going on in this story? Jesus is tired, and he wants a break. So he gets in a boat, 
And he goes along the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd watches him in the boat, and they are running to meet him wherever he stops. They get out of the boat, and Jesus teaches the crowd all day long. He was already tired to begin with, and he teaches them all day long. And at the end of the day, the disciples are like, okay, Jesus, we're tired too. Can we send these people home? And they need something to eat, so can we just send them away to go eat some food? It might be sort of like telling your pastor to wrap it up because it's lunchtime, right? Uh, thankfully, I don't have that problem. It's late, right? Okay, so let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 37. Uh, but Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Okay, so 200 denarii is the way it's written in the original text. Some of the translations might say uh, more than a half year's wages or eight months wages. I mean, there's other translations that are out there to try to help make it make sense to us. Now, let's talk about this for a second. So a denarius is a day's wage. Now, if you had a job, it's not a super great paying job, but you had a job, it pays $12.50 an hour. Okay? It's a pretty good job, right? $12.50 an hour. You work eight hours, you make $100 a day. That's one denarius. Now, the disciples are saying, we need 200 denarii. So if you take $100, which is one denarius, and multiply that by 200, how much money do you need in American dollars? $20,000. $20,000. And I think it's fascinating that John's gospel actually says $20,000 wouldn't even be enough for everybody to have a bite. So the disciples are like, all right, uh, what do you think, Jesus? Should we go spend $20,000 on these people, or should we just send them home and have them go buy their own bread, right? I don't know if it's in the budget, Jesus. What are we going to do, right? Verse 38, and Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. Likely, the loaf of bread would have looked like this. Pita bread. Round, about seven inches in diameter, give or take. And a couple of fish. Not the nicely sliced loaves of whole wheat bread that you might pick up from Meyer, right? Uh, and also, probably not gluten-free. So for those who had celiac disease, sorry, you probably were without. Out of luck. So taking the five loaves, okay? So there's five loaves here. Jesus had five loaves of bread, and taking them, he said a blessing. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples to give to the people. Now, there's five loaves of bread. 
And let's just, for the sake of our story, say there were 10,000 people there, including the women and children, because it seems like they probably ate as well, right? Okay, so that means one loaf had to feed 2,000 people. Okay, so there is roughly a little less, we're going to call it 300 people in this room tonight. Okay, so that would be, okay, a seventh of a piece of this pita. So we're going to go with, uh, that's, it's a little big, but it'll work. This is what would have been used to feed 300 people. Obviously, okay, well, so let's just do that. Can we do that? All right. So you go ahead and take this part and take a little piece and pass it around. And you can take this part and pass it around. Okay, I'm not forgetting this half over here. So take a piece and don't, don't eat it all. Pass it around. Keep passing it. Keep passing it. Now, there were five loaves and there were also two fish, right? Uh, now, we can't eat dory because that's not helpful. So what I do have instead are a couple of Swedish fish. So that's helpful. Uh, so right over here, you guys can take some Swedish fish and pass it around. There you go. All right, keep passing it. Keep passing it. Keep eating. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Here's another crumb if anyone wants that. There you go. Okay. Uh, Mark 6, verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Okay, so can you do me a favor? And can you do me a favor? Can you guys go walk the aisles and pick up all the leftovers for me, please? That would be helpful. I want to make sure we got 12 baskets of leftovers here when you guys come back. No, I'm not kidding. I, I, I mean, I am kidding. You're fine. You're fine. Okay. <laughs> I mean, okay. What? How? Why? What's going on in this? I mean, I'm going to guess most of us in this room have heard this story before, maybe even dozens of times. I know I have. But if we really try to break it down like this, it is mind-blowing to me what Jesus did here. It's so crazy, it's kind of laughable almost, isn't it? I mean, did you see the size of the bread that I passed to you and to you and said, okay, go ahead and share with everybody here? I mean, what were the disciples thinking when Jesus said, okay, let's do this? Let me ask you this question. Do you believe this story? Do you believe this story actually happened? I mean, all four gospel writers include it, so I feel like that helps bring some validity to the story. But do you really believe it? Do you really believe that Jesus did this? If so, why do you believe that? And if not... I don't judge you for that because it's a weird, crazy story. It's laughable. If 
you believe this story actually happened? What does it tell us about Jesus? What does this story tell us about Jesus? Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do you live your life in such a way that it's obvious that you trust he can still do things like this? In you, around you, through you, Is your faith a, a, a religious set of theology that you just have up here in your head where you're like, I know these stories and I know that Jesus is this person and I know if I say these things and do these things, then these things will happen to me? Or is your faith something that's like, you know, it's crazy and it's radical and I can't quite comprehend it, but I want this kind of faith. Is it obvious that you know and serve a God who says 10,000 people, five loaves, two fish, easy. There will be leftovers. Is it obvious that you serve a God like that the way you live your life? In 2006, uh, as I was reflecting on this story and thinking about what does this mean for me and my life, and I was reflecting on a story that happened in 2006, I was uh, getting ready to move to Jerusalem to go study for a couple of years. And at the time for me, that was a really big step of faith. I was leaving a job that I loved and a community that I loved and family and friends and all of the things, right? And I'm moving literally to the other side of the world and I don't know anybody there and I don't know the land or the language or the culture or any of those kinds of things. I knew one person. Um, I sold everything I owned, sold my car, Sold my bed, sold my dresser. I knew it was going to cost a lot of money for me to do this, but I had no idea how God was going to provide. And a few days before I got on the airplane, I called my good friend Courtney to kind of say goodbye. And Courtney and I, we went to Michigan State together, and we both led Young Life uh, for a few years together. And so we had a lot of really great shared experiences in ministry and saw God do some really cool things together. And she was just a really dear friend. As we were talking on the phone, I remember her saying, Ben, I hope that the next two years for you are absolutely amazing in every way possible. And I hope that whatever box you have put God in will just get shattered And I've thought about that phrase many, many, many times throughout my journey. Am I putting God in some kind of a box? So when we were living in Jerusalem, uh, the second year, I remember Stacy and I, we were living in our apartment. And uh, we ran out of money. I'd already sold everything I owned. I don't know how to get more money. We're there on a student visa, so you can't get a work visa and can't make any money while you're over there, so you're just kind of stuck. And so I remember we went to a grocery store, and we picked up uh, a few pita, some hummus, some cheese, and a few other things, a couple of small grocery bags. We walked back to our apartment, and we just cried. And we cried because we had $50 left to our name, 
And rent is about $1,000, and it was due next week, and we had no idea what to do. And so we just prayed. We didn't say anything to anybody. We just said, you know what, God, if you are who you say you are, and if you can feed 5,000 people or 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish, then I think you can do this too. But if not, then I guess we'll go home because that's the only other option we have. And that week, in the mail, came a very generous check for over $1,000. Who told them? We didn't tell anybody. I don't know how they even happened. In our mailbox at school, there were hundreds of dollars in an envelope from an anonymous person. And then we also uh, held a Bible study at our apartment for undergrads at the school every week. And we went to bed after that Bible study, and there were shekels all over in our bed under the sheets from the undergrads. Okay. Okay. Five loaves, two fish. Okay. I could tell you a dozen stories of God's ridiculous provision in my life. But I also can stand here tonight and say, sometimes I'm still putting God in a box. And I think all of us do that in some way. Some of us have bigger boxes than others, maybe, right? But why do we put God in a box? What would it take to take God out of this box or to have this box be shattered so that we can really think more clearly and see him more clearly for who he is? Do you believe that God can provide for you in crazy ways? For me, the thing that was convicting for me this week as I was reflecting on this story, is I feel like I am a lot like the disciples who are saying, okay, Jesus, I don't want to deal with these people. Let's send them away. Oh, you want us to figure it out? Okay, $20,000. Okay, well, we can try to figure out the math and the breakdown of, you know, something that's reasonable of some sort, even though that's crazy. There's reason, which the disciples were trying to do, and there's faith. Where Jesus is saying, this doesn't make sense. I've got five loaves and I've got two fish and there's going to be leftovers and it's going to be awesome. How do we live our lives in such a way where we're not having the mindset of these disciples of reason and what's logical, but how do we have something that I would like to call gospel kind of logic or a gospel kind of faith that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world because it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world because why would five loaves and two fish seem to be able to be okay to feed 10,000 people? Some of you recently took a pretty good step of faith by signing up for a spring break trip with Campus Ministry. Give yourselves a hand. Yeah, there you go. And not only did you sign up for a spring break trip, you signed up for a trip with a whole bunch of people you don't even know, right? Uh, it's awesome. Proud of you guys. It's amazing. But now that you signed up, you're also looking like, okay, checkbook, uh, I have no idea how I'm going to pay for this trip. And you're feeling anxious about it. You're feeling stressed about it. Don't put God in the box. 
How do you not have the mindset of the disciples and try to figure out all? I mean, it's good to plan and have, you know, some of these kinds of things. But even if these things don't work, know that God is a God who provides. Or maybe it's not about money for you. It's not about spring break and all these other kind of things. But maybe you're just like, yeah, I need, I need to figure out what I'm doing with my life. And I need to figure, I know the major I'm in right now is not the right one. So I got to figure that out. And I don't know how to figure that out. And so maybe it's just a prayer of faith and just trusting that God is going to reveal it to you at the right time and in the right place in the right way. Or maybe it's a step of faith in trusting that the right roommate is going to come around because you're feeling alone and nobody else wants to be your roommate yet. Or maybe it's, hey, you know, I'm graduating senior and I've enjoyed my time here at Grand Valley, but as I look to the future and I look for this job, it's really daunting and really scary. And am I really going to do this thing for the rest of my life? And where? And there's all these questions. And am I going to have friends when I move to this other state or Whatever it is. In the midst of these things that are going on in our lives, who is Jesus? Let's not put him in a box. Because he is the same yesterday and today and forever. Five loaves and two fish? I mean, did you see the size of the piece of the bread that I gave you guys? It's ridiculous. But it's more than enough. Because that's all Jesus needed. And they all ate and were satisfied. Please pray with me. Jesus, we, uh, we are grateful for your life and for your story and for the gospel writers who wrote these stories down for us to enjoy today. God, I just pray that you will encourage us in our faith journey that we won't just walk around with this label as a Christian because we believe these certain things, but that we will actually step out in faith and that we will walk by faith and not by sight. And I, God, I pray that we will be these people who, who trust you and your plan and that we will know that five loaves and two fish, even though it looks ludicrous, is enough for you. And so, God, whatever it is that people have going on that they are anxious about or worried about, God, I pray that you will be a God who provides. I pray that you will show up in mysterious and miraculous ways. And I pray that these people in this room, these friends in this room, God, I pray that they will learn to pray big prayers. And that there will be more stories of faith to not only encourage themselves, but to encourage the other people around them. So God, I pray for stories in this community to encourage me, and I pray for more stories of faith for myself so I can continue to encourage these people. God, I pray that you will give us direction in ways that you want us to step out in faith. 
trusting that you are a God of miracles. God, I pray that it's not just about provision for these material things that we might need, whether it be money or whatever else. God, I pray that that we will also look to you and see that you are the bread of life and that you alone can satisfy the needs that we have. So forgive us for the ways that we put you in the box and increase our faith and give us a, a deeper longing for more of you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.